so since we're doing just a normal recommendation episode, do you have an idea for an intro? <laughs> Perfect. This is the book report. Perfect. No more introduction. I love it so much. Introductions are for wimps and they people are. who need them. Wimps We're like people, mostly done with there. season two. We don't need yeah. to be introduced anymore. Oh yeah, everyone, I'm everyone Joel, knows us. And that condescending voice you hear on the other end of the line. Joe Rogan. Uh, Joel with an L. I'm not Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. No, I, like, I was Joe Rogan. You're too skinny. Okay. Joe Rogan's like if um, it never mind. I had a joke, but it's gone now. So I'm <laughs> gonna keep moving. Um, how Just do we like normally your decide? Burgeoning speaking career. <laughs> My what? Your what? My burgeoning what? Singing career. Oh, there's that's never going to happen. We have like discussed that. at length about how terrible I am at music. Tone deaf you are. Yes. Yeah. So did we we used to do whoever goes first by the title of the book, right? Sure. Why not? By the first letter. My book starts with an H. Okay. Well, mine starts with an S. Dang it. Um I feel like you okay. we have two of the letters for horse if we were playing the basketball game. <laughs> yeah, but not in the right order. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're obviously playing in different realms. <laughs> you just got to H. I'm already at S, so you're going to lose. You're the, okay. I don't think you play horse right. Um, but hey, we fun. also have the first two letters for a curse word if you want to go down that route. but How does H-S spell a curse word? Other way around, buddy. S-H. Oh, there you go. Oh, Let's see. Again, that's not the order we said them in. You're having chronological issues. All right, Joel. How good are either of us at math? Just yeah, but I'm good at letters. Way to dodge the question. <laughs> Anyways, I'm actually cheating. Whoa, um, that should be Ooh, a big. Whoa, surprise. are we going back to horses? Yes. Um, whoa. No. <laughs> I'm doing two books and the first time we go back to recommendations, but they're both fairly short and go together. Um, I'm doing Diana Wynne Jones's uh, series, Howl's Moving Castle and Castle in the Air. All right. So you might know that title from the Studio Ghibli movie of the same name. I do not. Okay. The Studio Ghibli or Ghibli or whatever. All those Asian anime films. Because it sounds like Ghibli bits. Yes, same. Um, he made a film of this in 2004, and it's super famous, and one of his most beloved films of a pretty big list of films that everyone loves. Um, but the book is actually better. Um, I know that's, again, a surprise that I'm going with the book version instead of the movie. But uh, the movie is all about the visuals and the prettiness, and it's an interesting story. But the books are hilarious, almost to the level of Discworld funny. Um, and their stories are just much more complicated and convoluted, which is just perfect. Um, so the basic story of the book is that a lady 
who, um, or a, I guess, young woman, gets cursed to turn into this really old, haggardly woman, and then finds herself run out of town and into the evil moving castle that is out in the hills. And she just kind of cons her way into being part of this court. And the evil moving castle is run by Howell, the great big evil wizard in the community. And it starts developing that you, uh, like he is not actually a bad guy, but he's not, he's like an anti-hero character and he is conning every community um, to just be the protective wizard, but he's protecting against himself and there's an evil witch. And I realize how convoluted and boring this is currently sounding. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a very bad job at selling this. Um, it good is... thing our podcast isn't predicated on the idea of being good at selling books. I know. Oh, like, crap. I just Wait a minute. I completely lost. Like, I was like, I had good selling points, and they're gone. I'm just rambling now. What is happening? I've forgotten how to do this. True. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Sure. laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to start completely over. Howl's Moving Castle is a humorous book that is based on a bunch of cases of mistaken identity in a pseudo-European place where there's all kinds of magic and there are talking living flames and giant fake moving castles that are secrets in disguise and an old woman who accidentally has the power to make anthropomorphic objects come alive when she talks to them. So it's mass chaos, and it's at the level of Discworld books funny. Yeah, that sounds bonkers. Yeah. Uh, and if you've seen the movie at all, you like you can see that there's similar characters and stuff, but it doesn't match up entirely with the book. Um, one of the most interesting things about the story is that uh, the movie version – This I can tell you the movie version without spoiling the book – the movie version has the wizard secretly fighting a giant war, and it's heavily implied to be World War II or World War I. Um, but the book version has him just secretly being able to go into our real world, and that's the big secret. And so while the movie version makes it serious and poetic and um, like an interesting tale of you know loss and sacrifice, the book version just goes for the funnier option. And that's why I think it's better because there is no – it's like Seinfeld. There is no very special moment undercutting it all. You're not supposed to be learning a lesson. It's just a really funny and fun story. Okay. Well, those are always entertaining. Yeah. But then the (laughs) – But then the second one is actually my favorite of the two. I believe there's a third as well, but it's not as highly regarded and I haven't read it yet. Um, the second one is called Castle in the Sky, and whereas the first one takes place in a very European fantasy setting, the um, in fact, when he goes to the real world, it's going to Wales. Um, the second book takes on all things uh, Middle Eastern mythology. Um, so there's djinn and genies and flying carpets um, uh, and magic lamps and all of that kind of uh, thematic elements. Um, but the whole book, it's obviously tied to Hausman and Castle, and they keep getting closer to the kingdom Hal's book takes place in, which is Ingeri. And the whole book, you keep expecting Hal to show up and just wreck shop because he's a super powerful wizard, or um, Sophie, the main character from the first book, to show up and get involved. And they keep just not being there. 
And as it gets closer and closer to the end, you're just like, how is this connected? And the final reveal as to how everything is connected to the first book is so funny and so well done that I probably laughed for five minutes straight when I finally got it all. And it was just this, she has the ability, um, I'm blanking on her name again, Diana Wynn has this ability to write in a way that just everything is automatically accepted, which is a trait that... um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide and the Discworld books have a lot of just acceptance in the fake face of lunacy. When something super weird and bizarre happens, everyone's just like, okay, that's just normal, and goes on. And she has the way of making you, the reader, do it by the end of the first book. And so you're just it, you're just completely accepting every random craziness they throw at you. And that just makes everything more fun. Cool. I mean, it sounds like a trip, for sure. So would you say it's closer to Terry Pratchett or would you say it's closer to Douglas Adams in terms of tone feel <sighs> or is it entirely on its own? Yeah. I mean, it, it borrows the same, maybe it's just, they're both, they're, they're humorous books and they're both British authors. That's why they seem this, that they're all similar, but um, it, it borrows the same kind of irreverent feeling from both those authors but it has a lot more of almost Shakespearean, I'm trying to trick the reader and the characters as well. Like, it feels like it's, it's a farce, which you don't see a lot of outside of old plays um, or, you know, Terry Pratchett books. Uh, okay. But whereas most Terry Pratchett books kind of have a, a point or a central theme by the end of it, these books just jump from, like, theme or motif to motif and somehow still fill whole which is just impressive gotcha that is tricky to do a lot of authors can't pull it off very well yeah there's uh there's two main characters in Howl's. it's Howl and sophie there's four or five in the next book and i mean maybe just three if you really want to be boil it down but all three of them have such ridiculous and impressive story arcs that interact so perfectly. Um, and then when the, that it just makes no sense. It's like, okay, I'm following one character who is uh, trying to rescue a princess from, you know, a fairy tale. One character who is like a deserter who's trying to con other soldiers out of money. And one soldier who is a very reluctant and just kind of massively sarcastic genie who's trying to get out of be- having to be a genie. And the three of them have to work together for one purpose. And you keep massively switching between them. And it's so much fun because those interactions obviously cause problems. (laughs) Okay. So I guess, um, what's your hook for me? Hmm. Okay. If you remember doing those. And if you didn't think of one, it has been a while. I I do remember doing them, but I didn't think about writing one down. Mm -hmm. My elevator bitch hook. That's Um, good. Hmm. Uh, we might have to cut out some blank spaces here while I think of this. Do, 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 That's not do, do, do. Um, This is totally copyright infringement. <laughs> do, 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 do. Send a wrong note so it's not. Okay, so in a fairy tale medieval. Nope, that is way too much of a book jacket. Um,. That is not a good hook. I guess my final hook for these books would be they're very easy reads 
that are way more clever than you think going into them. Uh, so it's like reading a, I mean, super low-level book that has a um, Christopher Nolan or Shakespearean-level twist before the end of it. And to be able to put both of those things into one book and make it hilarious is a masterwork. Okay. Very good. All right. Anything else you want to say, or do I get to steal the spotlight and step into the limelight? The limelight? No one wants the limelight. Everyone looks bad in green. (laughs) Oh my God. You don't even know what that means. I know it has something to do with theater, but I wanted to make a joke about the color green. Not uh, sure it has to do with the, the whatever. I'm not even going to waste my time on you. Okay. Wait. I want to know now what does limelight mean? And then you can so, take over. Yeah. Back when they were first using spotlights, they used a chemical reaction that involved lime to create light. And so it was limelight. And theater? It does have something. Well, I mean, the word light is literally in the name. So that's good well, that you knew it had to do with light. It's a good start. You know what? You're not yeah. wrong. I'm aware. All right. So mine um, is actually by an author I've discussed previously. Uh, and so far, I've, I've just really enjoyed his books. And so I'm going to recommend another book to you that I think I like better than the other one I recommended to you. Oh. Awkwardly enough. So this is actually the first in his it's, – it's like a saga. So it's a bunch of novels that are loosely tied together. But I wouldn't consider them the same books or even the same series or anything like that because they are very distinct from each other. But this is by James Clavell, um, and he wrote the book Shogun. So Mm -hmm. Shogun is, in my opinion, just maybe his masterwork, which is kind of tricky to say because it was, I think, the first book in this saga that he wrote um, or maybe he – it's the first one chronologically. I'm not 100% sure on that, but it is phenomenal. It was actually turned into a miniseries in the 1980s with uh, Richard Chamberlain, which if you've watched anything from the 70s or 80s, you probably came across him. He hasn't done much since then. But the book was very long. It took me a long time to get through it. And the miniseries um, puts game of thrones to shame in terms of episode length the very first episode was three hours long in the 1980s wow. yeah and then the finale was also three hours long so there's a who lot of stuff time you know what unpack. i was just about to ask who has time to watch three hours of television but that's Literally just binging a show yeah that's all we yeah. do <laughs> yeah we all do that all the time um so they feels, were ahead of the curve on that it feels painful to watch one episode of a show for three hours long though even though I would gladly watch six episodes of a sitcom without blinking. Yeah, it needs – well, sitcoms are easy because there's a break where they end or they leave you with a cliffhanger or just something is different about the next episode. But right, right. I, uh, I looked up how long this book is because I was reading it on my Kindle, which doesn't always have page numbers. The book is over 1,100 pages long, so that explains why it took me a while to get through. Yeah. But – so a little bit about kind of just the 10,000 foot plot overview. Basically, this is set in the 1600s in Japan, which to me is a really interesting time period, especially because that's around the time when uh, Christian missionaries started to go to Japan. And if you know anything about the dynamic between 
Christianity and Japan in the 1600s. To me personally, it's one of the most interesting time periods in history just because of how brutal Japan was in stamping out Christianity in Japan. And it's really interesting. If you haven't seen um, Martin Scorsese's Silence, I highly recommend it. But what ends up happening in this book is a English navigator ends up in Japan in the 1600s. He gets captured, and then the entire book is about him slowly integrating into Japanese society because he's stuck there. And it goes through the process of him becoming a samurai and slowly ingratiating himself into like the upper echelons of Japanese society. And it is really well done. The attention to detail that the author James Clavell paid to Japanese culture and cultural norms and the differences between Western and Eastern understandings of the world in the 1600s is just phenomenally well done. Um, and it, it really makes you feel like the novel was written by someone who had lived in Japan. And I think it's really interesting because this book is actually kind of depicting the Japanese as better than Western culture and okay. more advanced, more civilized even, which is fascinating because James Clavell fought in World War II in the Japanese theater and was a prisoner of war under the Japanese. So he was actually like captured and treated like garbage by the Japanese, uh, had PTSD his whole life from it. But then he goes and writes this novel, which is very complimentary of Japanese culture. So I just found that very interesting. Okay, yeah. That is kind of amazing that he would. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and while I was reading, I just couldn't get over that fact. But I'm going to go ahead and give you a hook. And then if you have any questions, you can kind of ask me about it. But one thing I think you would really enjoy about this book is that the ending of the book is incredibly subversive. Okay. It, is, it is not what you think is going to happen. It's not what you would expect. And it might not even be what you want to happen. And I know that a lot of times you like when that sort of thing happens. Yeah, so I definitely. think you would really enjoy this book. I like being surprised by the endings. That's, I mean, that's a bunch of why I recommended my these two books. I mean, they're funny and fun reads, but when the, both the ending twists are so amazing that I love yeah. them. Um, yeah. Yeah. And something he about, also does, yeah, go ahead something about subverted expectations is basically what I love about all my favorite media. <laughs> sure. And that's why when I finished this book, I immediately thought of you. Um, I don't know if I would have recommended it to you originally just because historical fiction isn't really your thing. Right. But as soon as the book ended, I was like, I think Joel would actually love this book just because of the way that it ended. Okay. Huh. Um, so and then the characters are all very internally consistent, which I appreciate. Yeah. And it does a really good job of uh, I don't know how much you know about like Japanese honor culture, but it does a very good job of portraying a lot of the aspects that surround that. Like the ideas that in feudal Japan, suicide is not a bad thing and it's yeah. Yeah. honorable to do that. And then he contrasts that with like the English guy who is a Christian and looks at suicide as the worst thing in the world. And Clavel does a really interesting job of kind of playing those things off of each other and using it to show just the, the overall character and understanding of the world through Japanese eyes. But it's, mm -hmm. it's very, um, 
interesting to read and see these characters that you are expecting to act like you or I would. You're expecting these characters to act right, like a right. Westerner, but through the entire novel, they consistently act very Japanese. And it's, this, okay, it, this, it's a really interesting read. This is now starting to sound extremely familiar. Uh, I don't think it was this, but I read a book one time that had a similar premise, or not really a similar premise, but a similar setting at least. Um, okay. And it was about a, uh, a kid whose um, family all died at some event, and he became like an actor in a Japanese like theater troupe, basically. Okay. And see, and also, uh, I believe, was training to be a samurai. I mean, this was a long time ago when I read this. Um, but he was uh, another actor in the troupe was secretly a convert to Christianity and was a um, uh, missionary, and uh, like he had to, th this actor kid had to wrestle with that and then um exposed him and that's how he got in good with the king or the the emperor yeah and it was a very yeah is this the same book not even close okay okay it was just like <laughs> the the setting and the no, themes no. were starting to sound very familiar by the end and i was like that yeah. is yeah no not even a little bit this book is the one you're describing sounds very much young adult fiction this yeah, one is, is not at all it deals a lot with um, like the perception of uh, sexuality in J Japanese culture. Like if you are um, the head of a household, you are expected to provide your um, like your vassal women with children, even if you're not necessarily married to them. And it just goes through a lot of those things. Okay. From what I understand, the author spent several years researching before he wrote the book. So it's pretty well sourced. That's good. It's very good. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm going to have to figure out what that other book I was reading, I read was. I can only vaguely remember it, and that's rare. I usually remember very well things I've read. I need to look this up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, final thing. This book, you know how you finish reading a book sometimes, not every time, but you just have like a sense of loss because you're done with the book, you're done with the yeah, world, and you just wish numb that you could, feeling. that melancholy. Yeah, this, this is one of those books that I experienced that with. It doesn't happen often anymore, which I think is because I've read, read so many much. things yeah. that you're you're almost immune to it. But yeah, this it one has did to be a really, a really good book to do that to me anymore. Yeah, and I think it was the world building in this one. It just had constructed such a rich, full world that you feel like you're living in it. Well, I remember that the, that specific story I was talking about. It was one of the first times because I think it was a school assignment. It was one of the first times I had been um, presented with a worldview so completely different than my own. And I loved that feeling. I loved being able to completely put yourself into somebody else's belief systems and shoes and look at everything from a different perspective. So, uh, yeah, I am very interested in this story. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also loose, like very loosely based off of a true story. Okay. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, well, do we want to do the official dust jackets? That's how we normally end, and then we say whether or not we're going to read them. Is that how we yeah, normally end these? Okay. That is exactly how we normally do that. It's so I'll let you start off with yours. Sure. Okay. The um, since I have two books, they're both fairly long, but I'll try to read fast. Okay. Howl's Moving Castle. Sophie has the great misfortune of being the eldest of three daughters, destined to fail miserably should she ever leave home to seek her fate. But when she unwittingly attracts the ire of the Witch of the Waste, Sophie finds herself under a horrid spell that transforms her into an old lady. 
Our only chance of breaking it lies in the ever-moving castle in the hills, the wizard Howl's castle. To untangle the enchantment, Sophie must handle the heartless Howl, strike a bargain with a fire demon, and, mitch, uh, and meet the Witch of the Waste head-on. Along the way, she discovers that there's far more to Howl and herself than first meets the eye. That makes it sound very dry and doesn't emphasize the humor. Um, yeah, no kidding. Castle in the Air makes it... This one sounds a little bit more fun. In which a humble young carpet merchant wins, then loses the princess of his dreams. Far south of the land of Ingri, in the Sultanates of Rasput, there lived the city of Zanzib. Okay, these names are ridiculous. A young, <laughs> a young and not very prosperous carpet dealer named Abdullah, who loved to spend his time daydreaming. He was content with his life and daydreams until one day, a stranger sold him a magic carpet. <laughs> the carpet flew him to an enchanted garden. He met and fell in love with a beauteous princess, only to have her snatched away right under his nose by a wicked djinn. So with his car- magic carpet, his wits to help him, Abdullah sets off to rescue his princess. That one a little bit more sets up the idea of this confluence of absolutely bizarre events that all these characters just 100% take in stride. Like, (laughs) um, in the first book, Sophie wakes up, uh, accidentally insults a witch, and gets turned into, like, a 90-year-old woman. And just goes with it. Like, doesn't question it at all. And just deals with it as it happens. In the second book, this guy gets sold a magic carpet that somehow only works while he's asleep. And then meets a djinn. And is told to go rescue a princess and just like, okay, I guess that's what I'm doing now. And it's just, it's a really funny way of meeting on insanity. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's like um, The Good Place. This is a massive spoiler for The Good Place. So don't, you know, listen if you haven't watched it all. Um, when they finally reveal to the, the therapist lady uh, that she's dead. And this is the afterlife, and she just refuses to believe it. But even though she doesn't believe it, she just goes along with everything. That's everyone's outlook on everything in these books. They're just like, okay, that's stupid, but why not? And I love it. Yeah. Okay. Read me your desk jacket. All right. Shogun by James Clavell. After Englishman John Blackthorne is lost at sea, he awakens in a place few Europeans know of and even fewer have seen. Japan. Thrust into the closed society that is 17th century Japan, a land where the line between life and death is razor thin, Blackthorne must negotiate not only a foreign people with unknown customs and language, but also his own definitions of morality, truth, and freedom. As internal political strife and a clash of cultures lead to seemingly inevitable conflict, Blackthorne's loyalty and strength of character are tested by both passion and loss, and he is torn between two worlds, that will each be forever changed. Nice. It sounds very much more dramatic than mine, obviously. Yeah, yeah no kidding. But mine, like, the dust jackets set them up to be dramatic, and that's just dumb. I don't understand why, if your book is humorous, sell it as humorous. If your book is a drama, sell it as a drama. This, like, weird halfway point makes no sense to me from a salesman. Yeah. I completely understand that. You kind of want to find your niche and stick with it. Otherwise, no one knows what, like, you don't really know what your audience is at that point. Yeah, like, I'm all for a twist, and I'm all for subversion of expectations, but it's got to be, like, you've got to be in on it. You can't sell a book as this dramatic fairy tale adventure, um, and people get into it and realize it's just a bunch of jokes about a dramatic fairy tale adventure. Like, they're going to be disappointed. I don't understand. But this is why I don't write dust jackets, apparently. 
Apparently. That's <laughs> tricky to summarize a 600-page book in two paragraphs. True. But I feel like the best ones capture the more than just the, the intro plot. They give you some, I don't know, they stay thematically relevant with the story itself. Okay. Yeah, that's that sounded halfway pretentious. <laughs> no, it sounded 75% at the least. Uh, do you have any book news or anything we want to share? Hmm. Well, I don't know. Are you going to read my book? Um, I am very interested in your book. Uh, yeah, I will definitely read that. You say this is better than um, the other ones you've recommended by Clavel? I've only recommended one other by him, which was Taipan. I think they're both very good for different reasons. I think Shogun is better. Okay. Yeah. I, I have a list of all the books we've recommended, and I've kind of ranked them on which ones I want to read next so that I don't accidentally buy the wrong book again like I did recently. Yeah, um, I'll do it. <laughs> so I will move Shogun up higher on my list of things cool. I should read. How about you? Will you give Howl's Moving Castle and Castle in the Sky a try? No, because I'm not really sure what's going on with it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm confused before I've even picked it up. That's the fun of it. No, that stresses me out. Uh, the whole Okay. The whole point is it's a funny <laughs> read. You're not supposed to be... Have you read any of the Discworld? I know you were going to read um, yeah. one of the, yeah, the Death series. Of yeah. You, I know you well, were going to read one of the Death series the last time we had an episode. Yeah, the problem is a lot of people really do like Discworld and Douglas Adams and all of those things. And I have read them, but it's never something that I want to go back to and read again or even find other things by those authors. I read them if it is recommended to me, but I just I struggle with the the very loose plot lines that a lot of those types of things rely on. Um, Because they're trying so much to get the joke and to make it funny or witty or some type of comment on modern day culture that they kind of throw the plot line off to the side and just use it as a loose framework for the comedy. And that's not really my style. It's not really why I read books. So I struggle with those. Well, that's why I think these ones are so much fun because all of the humor isn't isn't targeted at anything. There's very few uh, targeted at modern problems. All the humor is very internal within the story. And it's mostly just people's reactions or, frankly, insults to one another. The um, uh, Howl and uh, the Genie and, uh, and the Calcifer, the Living Fire guy, are all just super sarcastic and kind of mean. Um, and yeah. so a lot of the jokes are you know them playing off each other within the story. And it's not referencing actual things in the real world or being at all you know uh, terry pratchett does do a lot of like um observation humor kind of stuff and yeah that takes you out of it because yeah the plot is just there they're not super (laughs) focused on it these books everything happens within the plot and it's a very cleverly designed plot on purpose whereas pratchett's there there's means to an end like you said yeah, well, okay, maybe it wouldn't be as bad as I am envisioning in my mind. They're also real short, so it's not like it would take you long to read them. Okay, well, you're slowly selling me on it now that I've poo-pooed <laughs> your idea. Thank you. Yeah. I get the I just had to, I had to back you up against a wall for you to actually start fighting. Apparently. 
I was, I, I was, even though I was the one who said we should do it at this point today, out of it when you first called in. I mean, it's I still kind of am. Um, it's like, I don't know. Heroin will do that to you. I keep Allegedly. telling you to stop, but. No, I think this, uh, this stuff, now that everything's starting to open back up and almost immediately, at least in my state, looking like they're about to close it back down, um, I feel like it's finally hardcore gotten to me that I haven't seen many people in public recently and i've just been drained the last few days from yeah, I get that. all effort <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm not prepared to re-enter society that's what i'm rapidly learning <laughs> yeah i gotta love that corona malaise mm, it's uh it's a, a bitch yeah hmm all right well, well you got anything else anything i don't fun? think so no? Um, oh, I do have something fun, and I'm going to say it, but I'm not going to give any more details because the game is still going on. We are playing right now, to try to get over the corona malaise, a survivor game on Zoom every night this week where we actually have like challenges and then we have to vote each other off. And as I've only watched like the first two seasons of Survivor, but as the um, as contentious and ridiculously convoluted all of people's alliances and sub alliances and nonsense and backstabbing that the show presents in real life. That's exactly what happens immediately. (laughs) It's like, that's not played up for the sake of the audience at home. That's exactly how people react when they're actually up for a vote. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's a lot of fun. How about you? Are you doing any new fun things to get over the malaise? Oh, I've just been going all over the place, uh, probably doing more traveling than I should. But I have not been exposed to the virus yet, so I've been helping people move and things like that. That's cool. Yeah, you were in my neck of the woods fairly recently. I was. And then I was up in uh, Pennsylvania two days ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fun. You're getting out to see the empty world. It's about to not be very empty. You know, it's not so empty. It's actually very busy <laughs> everywhere I go. I don't think anyone's staying at home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have about a million people allegedly coming to Tulsa here in a few days. So, oh, oh. yeah, That's it's going to be a disaster um, of pretty epic proportions. There are people who started camping out on Tuesday for an event wow. that takes place on Saturday. That's um, exciting. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know. But um, also, I am going to tweet some of the funniest recent. I'm going to start just tweeting funny things from the Book Report uh, podcast account instead of mine, just to try to drum up more interest. And one of them I'm talking about on the episodes, you'll go find us on Twitter at book underscore pod, is a campaign video that just came out in Oklahoma. uh, And it's from a uh, just a lady running for Congress. I don't even know at all. But the ad is 100% an ad that would have been made in the 60s, and it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Um, so if you want some other ridiculous, completely random t- content like that, as well as a bunch of conversations about books, follow us at book underscore pod. You can find us at Facebook, at Book Report Podcast, and Instagram, at The Book Report Pod. Or email us, random nonsense, at bookreportpod at gmail.com. Huh, that is a mouthful. I'm going to make yes, you do is. that one time. <laughs> no, you do it so well. I just literally read our business card book card, business card bookmarks um, every do, time I do, do that. You do it so well. Good job. Good job, bud. 
Yeah, but if y'all want one of these, I that's all I use as bookmarks anymore as our little book report business cards. Email us um, with like an address and we'll send you some because they're cool and I have a bunch of them. They're pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that was kind of a short episode, but it's okay. It's on my lunch break. So, bye. <laughs> Later, haters. <laughs>